Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. This is exactly what I was afraid would happen. Wasn't this what I said when I was still back home? I knew your heart then, and so I tried to flee your presence as fast as my feet and and your sea could take me. I ran because you are a generous God and slow to anger and one who holds back from doing harm, but I hate them, God. I've seen our towns raided, my good friends murdered at the hands of those cruel, godless Ninevites. So I ran. It wasn't until I was tossed into the sea and swallowed by a fish that I stopped. But you heard my cries from deep beneath the water, and, and when you returned me to land, I knew I could do nothing but go. So I did. I went. When I got to the city, I said nothing even though my torn-up flesh drew the attention of every person I passed by. They wondered who I was and what I'd just gone through to end up looking like this. But then I began to see all of their unrighteousness, all of their slights against you, God, at every corner. Men and women selling and degrading their bodies in public, men finding, finding pleasure in the torture of the weak, and nearly all of them given to drunkenness or some other form of slavery to the flesh. And my heart burned and I shouted, yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. For three days, some 30 miles and more, I warned them. I wish they would have suffered. But my proclamation wasn't met by laughter or by sneers wasn't met by ignorance or, or by mockery, but by belief, by faith, and by repentance and sackcloth and ashes from the greatest of them to the least, every man and every animal. Therefore, God, just take my life. Take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Is it right for me to be angry? Sometimes you're asked to do something and it's so far out of your comfort zone that it scares you to death. I mean, just God is asking you, calling you to do something and, and you know that you're in way over your head. Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is a prophet of God in Israel and it's a pretty comfortable place for him. He preaches there, he teaches there because God has given him authority there. He's recognized, he's appreciated, he's respected. But what happens here is God is going to call him to go and preach in a much different place. In Jonah, chapter 1 begins this way. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, we don't know how God spoke to Jonah. We're not sure if it was a burning bush or if it was a thundering voice. We, we don't get that. It's not stated in Scripture. God says, here is what I want you to do, and here's where I want you to go. Now, here's what I want you to catch here is that the word of the Lord is not ambiguous. The word of the Lord to Jonah is not vague. The word of the Lord to Jonah is very, very clear. He says, Jonah... I want you to do this, and I want you to go there. So what do we do? 
What do we do when God says to go to Nineveh? What do we do when God says, here's what I want you to do, but it's not what you want to do or where you want to go? What do you do when God's commands are contrary to what you feel like doing? Most of us have been there before. We have. I've been there. You've been there. And if if you haven't, you will be, and maybe some are right now. But God has spoken clearly to you in some ways, but you don't want to hear him. God has been very clear, not ambiguous, but very clear, and we just don't want to hear what God has to say. And this is not the assignment that Jonah wanted. It's not the message that he really wanted to preach to these people. He had something else in mind. He had his own ideas of how these people, these Assyrians, should be treated. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and God refers to it in this text as a great city. And one thing you need to know is that here great does not mean good. It is far from being good. Great here means powerful. It means violent. It means brutal. That's what the word great city or the word that God meant to use for that. And Assyria was a feared world power in the 7th and 8th century BC. And they were not just known for, for conquering their enemies Uh, they practiced genocide. That was their method. Their method was just to to extinguish their enemies, to obliterate them from the face of the earth. That was the way the Assyrians attacked their foes. They left nothing. Nothing remained. Some records show us from that period that these people were brutal. They would torture by impaling them on sticks, inventing something later the Romans perfected called crucifixion. So this is not a tourist hotspot. This is not a a destination that you would say, wow, I I really would love to go to that great city because (laughs) it's just a wonderful place to be. It's not a wonderful place to be. And in fact, there's, there's more problems here with Jonah that raises his angst, his hatred, is because he, he hates them for what he did, what they did to his people. The Assyrians, you see, came and they invaded the northern kingdom. Now, you have to know that Israel at the time was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom made of ten tribes. There was a southern kingdom made of two tribes. And what happened is the Assyrians came in not once, but they came in twice And they wiped the ten tribes off the face of the earth. In fact, after the second invasion, the ten tribes are never mentioned again. You don't don't even see them. They're They're not in the Bible. They're totally obliterated. This is how brutal these people are. So Jonah hates these people for what they've done. And so Jonah does not want to go to this city, understandably. He is neglecting what's happening here. He doesn't want to. He wants to go in another direction. And here's what Nahum the prophet says about the city of Nineveh. He says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of the whips, the clatter of the wheels, galloping horses, a jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords, and a glittering spears. And Many casualties, piles up of dead, piles of dead, excuse me, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. This is a, this is a city of just body and blood. This is a, 
a, a horrible, a horrible place to be. And it's no wonder Jonah did not want this assignment. Uh, to show you maybe a little bit how he felt, this would be similar uh, to God calling a Jew to preach in 1940 in Germany to the Nazis. This would be very, very similar. I mean, you get the feeling that, that this, is, this is a horrible task that Jonah has been asked to complete. And now that gives us an idea of what's going on. But, but God spoke clearly. Here's what I want you to do and here's where I want you to go. You know, I, I talk to people all the time, and I certainly have my moments in life, that we want to we know what God's will is for us. I mean, we want to have a clear understanding of God's will. We would say, God, tell me what you want from me. Tell me where you want me to go. Just make, make it clear. You know, God, just speak to my heart. I, I want this to be clear. And oftentimes there's this frustration on our part that we just want God to speak to us. We may not ask for a burning bush or a thundering voice. We may, you know, something a little more mild, maybe a falling star, you know, when, when I look up at the sky or the wind blows the right way and something happens and I think, wow, that's it. That's the clarity that I needed from God. I mean, we all have those moments where we're just saying, Lord, let it be this way. But here's the reality. The reality is that there are many areas of our lives where God has spoken clearly. God hasn't been vague or ambiguous. He said, here's what I want. And we don't listen. We have this tendency to hear what we want to hear and we don't hear what we don't want to hear. Parents, you understand this phenomenon. I mean, if you're raising kids, you know exactly what this is like. I mean, I know raising my kids, um, uh, we experience the same thing. Did you know science has a, actually has a scientific term for this? It's called selective auditory attention disorder. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I have it sometimes. I mean, it comes and goes. But, but I know my kids have had it, and maybe your kids have had it as well, when they have to clean their bedroom, and so you say to them, hey, you need to clean your bedroom, and it, they don't bat an eye, and you say it again, hey, you need to clean your bedroom, and they, they don't move. And then you try a different strategy. You say something like this. Hey, uh, there's ice cream in the refrigerator. And they say, what? What did you say? And I say, you need to clean your bedroom. That's what I just said. I mean, I, I really, I use their disorder against them. You know, it's kind of, that's not nice. But it's, a, it's effective. It works. But, but we do that. I think there, there are things in all of us, and we, we, we might suffer. We have this selective hearing when it comes to God's voice. We have some commands that we don't like and we don't want to hear. Sometimes when Jesus taught, he would say that. He would say to these people, he who has an ear, let them hear. In other words, what he's saying is there are people out there that are listening. They're in earshot of what's being said, but they aren't hearing what Jesus would say to them. You know, I can't, can't help but wonder how many times in my life that God has clearly spoken and, and I've practiced selective hearing. I, um, I know of a few times where I practice selective hearing, but I wonder how many times altogether. Uh, you see, when I was younger, I was in uh, grade school, and I knew at that time when I was 10 years old, I was kind of young then, but I knew at that time just by what God was doing in my life as a youngster and what people had spoken to me that there would be a day, there'd be a time that I would pastor. That, that's, that was uh, brought to me very early. And that was the word of the Lord, very clear. It wasn't ambiguous, very, very, very clear. 
very clear. And over time, I, um, you know, figuratively took a, a, took a ship to Tarshish. Um, I, I didn't go the direction. I knew what God had called me to do, but I didn't, I didn't go that. I parted ways from the things that God spoke to me very clearly. My path, the direction that I was headed was, um, I was on a path to play professional baseball. That's what I was going to do. That's what I was training for. That's what I put my life into. That's where I was headed. I was headed there. And, and I remember being so just convicted about me <laughs> having selective hearing and not, not really listening to the things of the Lord during this season. And, and I just didn't want to have anything to do with God. And I, I said, God, I, I want, you to, want you to leave me alone. Just leave me alone for one year. I don't advise anyone pray that prayer. It's not healthy. You know, it's not good for your health. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I prayed that. But like we do, when we pray things like that, we forget. We forget. But God doesn't forget. He doesn't. He has a great memory when it comes to those kinds of things. And and it was uh, it was a year later that I ended up in the hospital with a fractured leg, and uh, I was laying on the gurney. And uh, my dad walked in and he saw me. And my career was over. It was that bad of a, of an injury. And and it, you know, just like a a true coach, you know, he, and he was my coach. And he walked in and he he didn't say anything. He just had a handkerchief. <laughs> Just dropped it and pulled the curtain back and left, you know, and probably the best thing he could have done. But right at that moment, I literally heard the Lord say to me, your year is up. That was exactly one year to the day. See, what, what happens here is we have selective hearing, but God, God has a plan for us. He has a place. He's been very clear in what he what he said to us, and, and oftentimes we don't want to hear that. And I, I think for many of us, the story of Jonah isn't so much about an Old Testament prophet, but rather a mirror to see ourselves in this story. I, I think that's so true. Here's something else we do. I think we redefine God's commands as suggestions. There's, there's times that God speaks to us and we, you know, God says here, go to Nineveh, and we treat, we treat him like he's a travel agent, like he's giving us some suggested destinations. Well, if you want to go to Nineveh, you, you can try there. You know, it's nice this time of year and the figs are in bloom. And it's, yeah, if you want to, you can go there. That's not what happens here. God is not making a suggestion. He's giving a command. What we have a tendency to do, and it's true with human nature and especially true, I think, with our culture, is we take God's commands and we interpret them to be suggestions. And they are not suggestions. We treat God like he is a personal consultant rather than the Lord of our lives. You see, a consultant is someone whose wisdom we highly value we listen to them, but at the end of the day, we're the ones that make the decision. We're the ones that decide. So here's the problem. God doesn't consult. God doesn't do consulting. He never has. He never will. He does God. And when we treat him as a consultant, he simply stops showing up to the meetings. He just doesn't show up. 
And too often we treat him as a consultant. We look at God's word like it's just advice or some helpful tips on how to live life, some suggestions that we might consider. This is not the way that God works. He does not work that way. When we became Christians, you know what we're saying? Because we're saying that Jesus is my savior and my, you could say it a little louder, Jesus is my savior and my Lord. That's what we're saying. I don't know altogether if we comprehend that the second part of that. We're so happy and glad and thankful that he saved us, but there's another part to it. Jesus is my savior and my Lord. When we call him Lord, we're saying you are now in charge of my life. My job is not to like what he says. It is to do what he says. My job is to to use a biblical word, to be a servant, to say I have no rights of my own, I'm obedient to my master. The apostle Paul really understood this in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He goes so far to say, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That, that's an extreme, that's extreme. And a bond slave was someone in the ancient day that was forever indentured to that master for the rest of their lives. And even to the family beyond that, if the slave should outlive the master. And what they would do is they would get pinned to a post and they would have their ear anvil. They would have their ear opened up. And they would put an insignia in there that showed that they belonged to somebody. Paul's using that imagery. He's using that term, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. See, the test of this comes when God says, go to Nineveh. That's the test. The test of lordship is not when everything's so comfortable for you and so wonderful and beautiful and life's going well and everything's blessed and praise God, I'm doing well. The test comes when you're asked to go to Nineveh. That's the test of lordship. You know, God, God says he wants you to go somewhere and he wants you to do something. And God says, I, I want you to do this, but you say, I don't want to do this. God says, I, I want you to serve these people, but you say, I don't want to serve these people. God says, I want you to give this money. You say, I don't want to give this money. God says, I want you to forgive this person, but you say, I don't want to forgive this person. Listen, this is the test of lordship. That, that is the test. What do you do when God says, go to Nineveh? When the word of the Lord comes and says, here is how you should live. Here is my will for your life. Listen, there is so much freedom when we finally come to the place and we accept the fact that God is in charge. There's a freedom there. There really is a freedom when we come to this place and we say, Lord, I, I surrender. You know, you're, you're the one in charge. You're the one I give my life over to. All you have to do is obey. You don't always have to like it or you have to feel good about it. But God says here, th- th- this is what you do. Just obey. So God makes it clear to Jonah. But, but look at verse 3. See what it says there. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed to Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And every time I read that, it's funnier and funnier. I mean, really, to flee from the Lord. How do you do that? I mean, how? I mean, in the, you know, really, you think about it. how do you run from God? I mean, you try to run from God. 
Uh, but how do you really accomplish that? I mean, how, how does that really happen? And he, it says he ran away from the Lord. Listen, you don't run away from God. You know, just the thought that that is even possible, that if I go fast enough or hard enough, he won't be able to catch me. And some of us live life that way. Some of us, the reason we are so driven and so busy is because internally you're running from God. I, I know it. I can see it in your eyes. What are you doing? Oh, if I work hard enough, if I run fast enough, if I stay busy enough, I won't hear him. I won't hear him. It's futile. It's futile. Um, let me show you a map here. This is interesting. Look where Nineveh is. So he's down in Joppa and see where Nineveh is. Joppa to Nineveh is probably about 800 miles. And so it's right in that area. God said, hey, you head to Nineveh. Look how far he went the other way. I mean, this is literally in the opposite direction. He headed the other way. Nineveh is right today would be where the modern city of Mosul, Iraq is. It's right on the Euphrates River. Um, the modern day Tarshish would be probably around Cadiz, Spain, which is right by the rock of Gibraltar. So you see, he went at least three times further going the other way, trying to run from God. So you get this perspective that this cat's serious about what he's doing here. I mean, he's serious about running in the other direction. I don't want to have anything to do with Nineveh. I don't want to have anything to do with what God has told me. And maybe this, you know, this kind of illustrates your life right now. Where God has said, here's what I want from you. And you've gone, I mean, you've gone the opposite direction. God says forgive and you want to hold on to your bitterness. God says reach out. Instead, you want to close yourself off. God says to be generous and you want, to, you want to keep everything. God says confess your sins and you don't want to confess your sins. God says honor your husband, honor your wife. God says these things to us. And what God's saying to us is so that, so that there's <clears throat> blessing in our life. And, uh, and we don't want to. We just want to go the opposite direction. Here's what I want you to do here, just for a moment. What I want you to do is to identify an area in your life where you are running from God. Might not be all of you running from God. It might be, but it might not be. It might be just an area in your life that you've heard, you know, you've heard the voice of the Lord over and over and over again. You, you've you found good reasons why not to do what he's asking you to do. I mean, you really do. So you might not even see that as running from God. But anytime that happens, that's what I would chalk it up to be if you find a lot of reasons why you don't need to do it or you're going to do it the next day. Listen, by the way, good intentions are not, are not doing what God asks you to do. That's not obedience. We think it is. We, we fool ourselves into thinking, well, I will someday. I will aren't I good? God says, no, no, uh-uh. You're running the opposite direction. What is it, you know, what is it in your life where you're running from God? Is it, at, you know, getting forgiveness or asking for forgiveness or a relationship that, I mean, a neighbor. God has called you to do something and you have not been obedient. Identify his word to you. You see, Jonah ran from God, and the reason we see here is fear. There will be a few other chapters where other things will be made known, like pride and hatred. 
you know, those are the uh, some other layers of Jonah's life during this season. But but the first chapter, the first chapter, it's fear. Jonah is afraid, and what if he does what God wants him to do, and it's not what he wants? What if the outcome is just totally different? What what if it's not what he wants? So Nineveh is not a safe place. It takes courage to go to Nineveh. God, what if I draw the line with my boyfriend and he breaks up with me? God, what if I reach out to my neighbor and he rejects me? What if I do these kinds of things? We fear embarrassment and rejection and discomfort. Those are, those are real things that we're afraid of. So what do we do? We run. That's how many of us face fear. It's that fight or flight and most of us aren't fighters, so we're flighters. You know, that's, we just take off and we go the other way. We don't want to face our fear. We just say, you know, close our eyes and say, it's not here, it's not here, it's not here, it's not here, it's not here. It'll go away, it'll go away, it'll go away. And you open your eyes and it's still staying, still there. It's interesting if you look at Tarshish, it's not only in the opposite direction. It's the opposite kind of city as Nineveh. Did you know that? Opposite, totally opposite. This is a retirement destination, even, even back in the ancient days. This is, this, is where, this is where military generals would go and retire on the Mediterranean and drink pina coladas. I don't know if they had them then, but that's what they would do. They would go to this place and they would sunbathe, and, and it was a military port, and it was wealthy, and it was, it, was a, it was a beautiful place. It was a place that was the opposite of Nineveh. So Jonah's not only going the opposite direction for uh, another reason. He's going the opposite direction because, man, I get there and, and I have the good life. Here's the tough lesson Jonah's about to learn. And I've learned this the hard way and maybe you have as well. And here it is. It's better to be in Nineveh with God than in Tarshish without God. It's better to be in Nineveh with God, the hard place, than the retirement home in luxury in Tarshish without God. But sometimes we still aren't getting that. But Jonah gets on a ship... And he heads for Tarshish. And verse 4 it says this. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose. That the ship threatened to, to break up. What's happening here? Well Jonah runs and God chases. Does, it, does that sound familiar? Theologians call this the active discipline of God. That, that God is very, very active. There's, there, there's where God sends us a storm to get us to turn around. And sometimes we're in the passive discipline of God. It's, it's the result of your own dis, uh, decisions, your own, your own choices. That's the passive um, discipline of God. But Jonah, right here, he's in the active discipline of God. Either way, you will find yourself in the middle of a storm like Jonah. In verse 5 and 6, it says this, all the sailors were afraid and they cried out to, to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, listen to this, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? 
Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. This heathen captain knew more about this than Jonah did. I mean, it's the heathen captain saying, captain saying, please call on your God, call on your God. Something Jonah didn't do. But he's in this place and what happens is, is the captain can't believe that Jonah's sleeping. And he goes and he shakes him and he says, how can you sleep? Call on your God. And here, here's what I know. Some of you have run from God and right now there is a storm. Right now there's a storm. And some of the people around you see it. Your friends see it. Your family members see it. But you, you don't see it. You're sleeping. You've fallen asleep. You've fallen asleep. And somebody needs to wake you. Somebody needs to wake you up and tell you to cry out to God. Somebody needs to say to you, cry out to God. Save us, God. Because your storm, listen, your storm doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. It's your storm. You brought it on. And you're running from God, but you may not know it, or you may be sleeping through it, but other people are living through your storm. Some, some of you know what this is like because you grew up in a home like this where you grew up in someone else's storm, that you were mistreated when you were a child and you missed your childhood because of that. Some of you grew up in a home where you live with a closet, closet alcoholic mother and, and the only way that you could deal with that is to run and hide and to take cover. And, and so that's, that's how you dealt with it. And some of you, your parents divorced and there's lots of anger to this day and it's hard for you to trust the people around you that you are the result of someone else's storm. You know, there's a, can I say this? There's a two-word sermon some of you need to hear. Wake up. Wake up. Running from God is not working for you. Just not working. You've heard that you are in a storm but you go below and you yawn and you fall asleep and there, there's a lot at stake. But you need to hear, wake up. Maybe that's my voice today. Maybe that's the voice of a friend or a family member. But somebody or somebody's around you are saying, wake up. Wake up. And I pray that you hear that voice because you need to wake up. And then you go to verse 9. It says, he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah seems to have this moment where he realizes what's happening and he sees the futility of taking a ship to run away from the God who created the sea. Isn't that amazing? That's not a great strategy, by the way. He's trying to run from the God who created the sea. He even says the God who created the sea and the land of which I think he really wanted to get to. And here is it, verse 12 through 15. It says this, pick me up 
throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea calmed (laughs) this is the part that we recognize we recognize the story but then some of the details after this get for some get a little hazy you know we're not we're not quite sure how the rest of this I mean God did what okay I get this and he's thrown overboard and then then a whale comes along, and I'm not sure, you know, what are, what are the details? Jonah, I heard this story, Jonah and the whale. I heard about it when I was a kid. We know the whale's name is Monstro, let's see, and, um, and, and he was running from Geppetto. He wanted to be a real boy. Uh, no, 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 wrong storyline. Um, you know, we aren't exactly sure of the details, but sometimes we think we know this, and it sounds like a fairy tale. It, it sounded how how does someone get thrown overboard, get swallowed by a great fish, and make it three days? Can I can I say this to you? Do you know you have people today that live in biospheres, two to three thousand feet below sea level? Uh, God's a lot more advanced than that, by the way. So He could probably create an environment in a fish, and yet we still say, "Well, I don't know. This sounds like a fairy tale." Listen, there are people living underneath the ocean right now in submarines that we made for weeks, and we still want to say, "Well, I don't know." Listen, this is God. Yeah, yeah, three days—that's nothing. It's nothing. But listen, listen to what verse 17 says. And this is what it says. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. I want you to look at the word there. What does it say? Now the Lord what? The Lord provided. He gave a specific assignment, a specific task to a big fish. That's what he did. He said, you big fish, you got the job. Here's what I want you to do. Swallow don't chew. That's what I want. Just, just swallow, don't chew. And this fish comes along, swallows Jonah, doesn't chew, and takes him back where he was supposed to be. Listen, what Jonah ran from was worse than anything he initially feared with the beginning. Isn't that true? Fear causes us to run away from God, but what we find away from God is much worse than we feared initially. And so we run and God chases. We run and God chases. God has done that in my life. Things that I've been afraid of. Things that I just said, Lord, I, I, it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can do this. And God chases. Running from the God who has overcome death, God chases you know, you may be running from God in one area of your life or altogether, I don't know. But if you are running from God, know that he's coming behind you. A fact, just want to say it, get it out there. Because if you're in this illusion that 
He doesn't know where you are. It really is an illusion. <laughs> he knows exactly where you are. Exactly. And that's what I gain from this. You will hear the footfalls of God. This is the message of the gospel. Man runs, God chases. Sin runs, grace chases. Brokenness runs, healing chases. That's the gospel. That's the good news. This is the story of the good news. But here's the key, and I'm going to finish with this. You need to stop long enough and let God catch you. Just need to stop long enough and let God catch you. We run, God chases, and God always gets his man, and he always gets his woman. Better than the royal mounties. God always chases. Would you bow your head with me? Today, if, um, if I'm going to finish with this, and, and if you're in a place right now where you're, you know, you know, you're just actively, you're running from God in a particular area of your life, or maybe it's, maybe it's all of you. You just don't want to have anything to do with God, and you keep running, and the storm gets worse and worse. If you're, if you're there, uh, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, just lift your hand. Just say, yep, that's me. Just make that confession. Good. That's all you need to do. Say, that's me. I'm going to make that confession. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. That's, that's, that's huge to just say that. Because what you're saying right there by lifting your hand is I'm stopping long enough so, um, <laughs> so God can get me. Just putting a pause on it for a moment and letting God just uh, touch your life. And so today, if, if, you, if you need that, just continue to seek God. Call out. Cry out to God. After we're done here, there are going to be prayer teams around this building. And so I want you to go and just receive prayer. Just go and say, hey, I'm running and I need prayer. I'm stopping. I need prayer. Father, we just thank you for your great grace because sin runs, grace chases. We run, you chase. Thank you for coming after us. Thank you for never leaving us, never forsaking us. Thank you for bringing your presence to us even when we don't deserve your presence. And even while we were enemies, far off, you brought us close to you through your life, your death, and your resurrection. Thank you. Lord, thank you for this story. Again, it's not so much a portrait of an Old Testament prophet as it is a mirror to look into our own lives and to, to take note of where we are and where our relationship is with you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503 503- Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff 
along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Thank you.